Hello, and welcome to episode five of Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm your host, Harrison Greenbaum, and this is uh, presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. So shout out to them, Alexander, and the whole team who has made this possible. Uh, this is an exciting day, and not just because it's the first night of Passover, and my I had my first ever Passover during an actual plague. We did a Zoom Seder, so that was very exciting. Shout out to all the Jews out there. Uh, somebody said, no possible soup for you. That's coming a little bit later, right after this. And uh, John Shango, who's probably not a Jew, just a hey, hey, but shalom to everybody. Uh, the other reason I am so excited tonight is because our guest is fantastic. Uh, they've all been fantastic, but this is the first guest that we've had that also went to Tannen's uh, Magic Camp. That's why I'm wearing my Tannen's uh, shirt. It is a week-long program every year in which uh, counselors who are magicians, professionals, and semi-professionals from around the globe volunteer. They give their time for a whole week. We do a more intense schedule than a regular magic convention. It's magic 24-7 for kids age around 10 to 18. Uh, and if you are an interested kid, definitely check out Tannen's uh, Magic Camp. And if you're interested in joining the International Brotherhood of Magicians, make sure you check out magician.org slash join the IBM slash join uh, this show every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. or 4 p.m. if you're on the West Coast. And our guest is from the West Coast. Uh, you might recognize him from All My Children, from Guiding Light, from Chappelle's show, from Wizards of Waverly Place, and some other show. I think it's called like Carbonero Effect or something. He is a fantastic performer, a fantastic human. I love him to death. I know you're going to love him. Make some noise from your own apartments. Give it up for Michael Carbonero, everybody. Hey. Hello. What's up? Hi, everyone. Wow. Hello, everybody. This is amazing. This is this looks like uh, your office. Yeah, that is. It's my office. That's beautiful. I see some Halloween direction. Are those Halloween decorations? Uh, what well, my whole house and my whole life are pretty much Halloween decorations. That's and the aesthetic. I, li I live on yeah. I live on a block in in Burbank, California. That's like all the special effects, makeup, and monster supplies. So it's like it's a real dream. That, I see a platinum record. Did you actually record a, an album that I didn't hear about? You didn't hear about my album? No, Carbonero sings the complete collection. Oh, so you know it. I have the deluxe edition, yeah. Yeah, uh, that is a platinum, uh, that's an award for a platinum record. I'm very proud of it. Uh, it's not mine. Okay. When, when I bought the house, that was like left in, in the garage in between a whole bunch of wood. And um, <laughs> it is it is a platinum tape, actually. It's a cassette tape on the oh very corner. But it's a platinum record for Technotronics uh, Pump Up the Jam. Nice. So, for those of you out there who know it, that's a real win. It's kind of my prized possession. If I had to pick a platinum album for any song, I think that might actually be my choice. I mean, what a win. I mean, what a win. And I, I would give it back, but I feel like if she didn't notice, she didn't have it, I'm just going to keep it until she asks. And if she does ask for it back, you have to pump that song up real loud as you give it to her. I'll be like, oh, you mean this? Pump <laughs> up the gym. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to dive into uh, your whole career, but I wanted to start by going way back to childhood. And uh, I, if you could just explain to the viewers, I don't know if this image has any meaning to you, um, this poster right over here. That's a poster of Elliot from E.T. Uh, I don't know, do, does this ring a bell? A bell? It rings everything, yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, sure, that was maybe, maybe the thing that did it was seeing that movie <laughs> um, for a lot of things. Elliot, Elliot was my first crush. Um, this was in your childhood bedroom, and we know this is not your poster because nothing is written on it. 
But what that's, would have been written on it? That's right. Where did you find this information? Um, I've been digging. It was the classic ET poster like this, and um, I wrote. So wait, it was I was born in '76. So ET came out in '82. So that makes me six years old. And I wrote, "I love Elliot." Really small on the bottom corner of my poster. So I knew I was gay that young, and I knew not to tell anyone. Back well, then, you put it very small. You kind of hid it. I hid it. I hid my crush for Elliot Henry Thomas. I watched every movie he was in too. Have you ever seen his audition tape where he cries? Oh God, yes. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Yeah, you just hear Spielberg like, "Okay, kid, you got the part." Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you were an actor yourself, but right, but before you got into Tish, which set up the whole acting journey. There was uh there was what how did you what kind of magic were you performing as a kid? Well, I started with the the whole reason for the Halloween game is I I started with like a love of horror movies and special effects. So I loved monsters and Halloween and you know I wanted to be a special effects artist. I always say my first magic book, I think I actually have it over here. Do I have it right here? Uh my first magic book was um Bizarro by Tom Savini, which oh, is amazing. A, it's a it's a special effects book. Um, but he, he teaches like some really intense tricks, like, you know, hiding bodies the way magicians do and tables yeah. and stuff. And also, you know, we had these wonderful like mechanisms to hide blood. Like he, he would take a baby ear syringe and hide it in the palm of his hand with a dull razor blade and just take the dull razor and cut it across. And you just see the blood pour out. And it was this live Oh, no, it's amazing. I love the cover of the book, by the way. I kind of got it. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's um, that's I think that looks like every every magician who attends a convention. That's right. This is the uh, International uh, Brotherhood of Magicians chair people. And they're uh, that's actually Ted Danson from Creepshow. And uh, that's what will be the burning. Alexander looks terrible. Uh, by the way, somebody just said, I love Michael Carbonara. Does that happen a lot? Oh, uh, yeah, Italian all the time. Yeah, <laughs> Carbonara. Oh, Carbonara, yeah, Carbonara. Yeah. Yep, yeah. But uh, I'm still into effects, too. Like, I made, I yeah. made, um, like, I made these fangs for my husband this Halloween. Like, I, like, this is his, a cast of his teeth, and these are little, like, teeth that clip on his teeth when he was, uh, we were lost boys for Halloween. Oh, that's, oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. I lost one of mine on Halloween. That's why I'm so nervous. <laughs> That's so cool. Is there? I yeah. heard you might have an actual gremlin somewhere. Yes, there's a gremlin in my house uh, from Gremlins from Two, one of the puppets. Yeah, and it's like it's all rotting away, like it's all like deteriorated, but it looks really sick. I, I'd take you there, but this is all. There's wires everywhere. Oh, no, yeah, you mentioned Peter, by the way, and uh, we had. I found this picture online. All right. That one's a pretty good one. And then this one, uh, I don't know what, what's happening here, but it looks like magic. It is magic. Yeah, we do We do a few things together. Um, that first picture you had of him, he's wearing a shirt, actually. It says the Bindle Stiff uh, Family Circus. It's it's That's the one of the first places we did. Uh, we do a partnered needle swallowing act wow. where we both feed each other needles and then do like a lady in the tramp moment with the thread, kiss and pull out the needles. It's really great. And we do a spirit cabinet. That's us doing the needles right there. That's the little pin cushion. And I'm about to pop that balloon. We did that at some bar in Manhattan. That is awesome. Uh, and you guys have been together for what now? 14 years, 15 years? 
Um, 2007. Yes, 14 years. That's amazing. How long did it take before the proposal? Um, I, we, I had moved to California with him and, and, uh, I, we, we weren't married until we literally went down to city hall the day it became legal the day after it became legal in, uh, in California. So wow. when was did, that? You, did you ever have a big wedding party or was that it? You know what? I no, I, no, I, I actually got the carbonaro effect right. I had a whole wedding planned. I paid it in advance. It was going to be in Brooklyn at this amazing like place that does everything. It's called rebar. And yeah, yeah. literally I sent in because you could save money if you send in er the money uh, paid in advance. And I sent everything in and all of a sudden I got a text message. I was editing like maybe the first couple episodes of the Carbonaro effect. This is when the whole thing started. And I got a text message from my dentist on Long Island, where I'm from. And he said, um, I'm not from my dentist. I'm from Long Island. And he yes. said, uh, oh, sorry to hear about rebar. And I was like, what about rebar? He's like, the guy ran away with everybody's money. I was like, what? Oh so I God. called the bank and I'm like, did he cash my check? And he didn't cash my check. Uh, but the guy ran away with everybody's money. The staff showed up to rebar that morning. There was supposed to be a wedding that morning. The guy just took off who owned rebar. And lucky for me, I, uh, I, I addressed the envelope incorrectly and it came back to me. Whoa. So I, and I still have that sealed envelope with the check in it in our, in our bedroom actually. But yeah. And inside was the headline that you'd predicted for a month in the future. <laughs> That's right. And you know, I, um, I didn't, uh, and then the carbonyl effect just like took off and it was like nonstop. So we sort of were like trying to postpone and come up with another wedding thing. And finally, after a year, we were like, all right, we're just going to fly all, both of our, our parents hadn't even met. So we just flew our parents out to our house and, and, uh, my brother, his brother and sister and my sister-in-law, we all just had like a dinner here at the house. And oh, and because we got married at the Magic Castle in the Houdini Sound. Oh, that's amazing. Like just like a little, we eloped there. That's and, a way to avoid photos as well. <laughs> right. And it, I find that it's a lot cheaper to get married at the Magic Castle if you don't tell them. You just go and do it. <laughs> that's right. What is this preach doing over here? Why is there a <laughs> rabbi? So and then so we had dinner at the Magic Castle in the in the seance room, the families together. And that was sort of our little wedding. Ditty. And that's perfect because that's like a little like dark and Halloweeny as well. Exactly. That's perfect. And Ozzy Wind, uh, he commented hot and then off by one. That was his response to the check story. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant hot off by one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but just going backwards before we get to the Carbonero effect. You were touring around uh, high school in a duo act. I have that's, a picture of it over here. Oh my God. What do you, oh, I guess we all have time. You've been, yes, that's, oh my God. That's a variety show in junior high right there. Uh, that's Tara Christensen, who was my main assistant uh, for years. Um, I had a few assistants, you know, in my day. My first was <laughs> Renee Bandy's. I think we did the very first variety show together. And we did Cut and Restored Rope with a dance number. Two, I just died in your arms tonight. Wow, that's very dramatic. You know, well, yes, it was. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I've never, I've never seen, I've style. never seen the cut and restored rope as dramatic as that. Yeah. So, um, I should bring that back. I need material. What, what position were you trying to be when you were doing that act in high school? Copperfield. <laughs> yeah, that I makes just died in your arms tonight. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, from the death saw. Sorry, I, I just figure everybody knows this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I have uh, another picture. This is uh, the act many years later. Yes. I heard there was a reunion recently in Long Island. Yeah. When I started touring um, my live show this 
past three years, I performed on Long Island at the Paramount Theater. And I called Tara up and I was like, yeah, and she's a teacher. She's got kids and a, a husband and a family. And I was like, do you want to like pull together the old act and perform it? She was like, yes. So we went early. I shipped. That's my favorite prop in the world. It's like a super cool zigzag lady, but it uses six blades. So it's it's wow. a real it's a real mind twister because you you it's like you she can't go up against the side of the cabinet like a zigzag because she's got both feet sticking out, separated, kind of like a, a disembodied princess. And she, if you think she's up against the cabinet, you can't because you stab these big blades on each side of the cabinet. So it's it's, a, it's really cool. Anyhow, so I have it. I, I still have it. It was made by this guy, Roger Caps, uh, And I ordered it from like a genie magazine. <laughs> like when you couldn't even, I think I just got a video in the mail and I like, or anyway, it's, it's, it is like a Rolls Royce. It's gorgeous. So I flew it out there to Long Island and we rehearsed it. And she's like a yoke. She's perfectly, she's so in shape and fantastic. We did the dance, the whole like Copperfield dance with the back bend and it was amazing. It would have been really awkward if she wasn't, though, if she showed up and she was 500 pounds and you're like, oh, this box has a weight limit. It would have been maybe more magical. That's true. That's I fair. Really wanted to see that. I mean, wouldn't that be fantastic? Just like a crystal box. You're like, oh, crystal box. And then you pull the cloth off and there's this like 400 pound woman in there. Or a metamorphosis. We're like, how did she even get up there? Yeah. Uh, by the way, Chris Kenner said, do the death saw speech. So I think you have permission now. The death saw. 17 feet in the air, a blade over six feet in diameter, capable of cutting through a concrete block, 18 inches thick. This timer controls the descent of the blade once the cables are connected to it and the timer is started. The spinning saw will drop three inches every three seconds, getting closer and closer. I'll have 60 seconds to free myself from all the locks you examined using Barbara's hairpin. Barbara's hairpin gets all the locks, the box, and that saw. 60 seconds before the saw splits the box in two, along with whatever might still be inside. Pick up moccasins, put them together, hand them to an assistant. <laughs> How many times did you watch that as a kid? All of the times. <laughs> did you wear out a VHS tape? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I And I use that as my um, every theater I perform at. That, I, that, that's my mic check. Oh, that's amazing. I do yeah. Macbeth because that's the only speech I really have memorized. You have that speech too? I No, I have the uh, the Macbeth speech, uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which is real weird for a stand-up comedy mic check. They're like, hey, tell us a funny thing. And I start going tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Right. Okay. And you did, but you had a big memorized speech. You did the Edgar Allan Poe thing for Halloween. How, well, how did that come right. about? The Telltale Heart. I, um... I read the story. I read the story in high school, and I, I returned to it some years after college. And I read it, and I was just like, "This story!" It like gave me chills on the back of my neck when the sound of the heart came back when he had the cops in the room. If you don't know the story, you could you could watch it. I don't know how. I'm sure it's available. I think if you is it on my Instagram? It's somewhere. We'll we'll get it up somehow. Call Matt Schick. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I think it's like on Facebook because I think it's on my Facebook page. You can watch a link. We did a live stream of it around Halloween. Um, but anyhow, the, the story really scared me. And I was like, you know, I would love and it's told in first person. It sounds like a monologue. It's a confession. So I was like, I want to I want to memorize this just to know it and perform it. I had no goal other than to just memorize it. And I I I. I did like my family or something. My other assistant, uh, my later assistant, Liz, um, he heard me do it and she was like why don't you come and do that for my turns obviously the telltale heart it was in my curriculum too it was in the school curriculum so i started performing the telltale heart for uh middle schools 
and I loved it. And the kids freaked out. You know, they're like, oh, someone's going to come to the school and read something. And then I would like knock them out. Is with this, this like early 20s? Is this like after college or during college? This is after college. Gotcha. Yep. And you're, you, got, you got into Tish, so you knew you wanted to do some kind of acting. Was that the goal in going to I, NYU Tish? Well, the goal of going to Tish really was to to be the next Copperfield. I, I still, at that point, like I went from special effects to magic, started performing magic. Me and Tara were doing, I had a full illusion show. We were doing the basket and metamorphosis and that cutting in half. And um, I uh, I was like, I'm going to go to NYU and learn everything I can about theater, movement, voice, dance, speech, mime, everything theatrical and just come up with the wonder show of the universe, magic show. And then I really got into acting and comedy in school because I was taking all those like different courses a la carte. And then I'm like, what do I want to be? I want to be an actor too. I want to be in sitcoms. I want to do, I did stand up, and I was like, I would, I don't know, do everything, just perform. So I just consider myself an entertainer now, just entertainer slash special and effect. When guy. you did stand up, was it just straight stand up? Yeah. 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 I oh, did it. Awesome. I, I won the stand up New York comedy contest. Whoa. In 2004 or something. What was your, do you remember any of the joke from the act? Um, I remember my first joke that got a laugh. It's terrible, but okay. it was a joke about scurvy and how it's the only disease nowadays you actually have to work to get. And so it's oh, actually kind of cool to have scurvy. That was the my big closer. Yeah. Um, no, I don't remember anything right now. I mean, I, I do, but I'm not going to rev it up for you. So just forget <laughs> it. <laughs> By the way, what happened? Shit, I, 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 was performing, I had 10 minutes and it was really good. And um, I was performing it everywhere, and then I invited like everyone to come and see it. My friends, my family, everybody at this big show at Caroline's. Same 10 minutes. I had just killed with it at the Broadway Comedy Club the night before. Fell flat on my stupid face, death. <laughs> that, uh, and it was like one of those mysteries that I'll still never understand about performing in general. You know, like you do a show and the people are like, oh, there's never a bad audience. Like, yeah, there is. It's, oh, yeah. I don't, or I don't know how something can be so good or work so well or click with a crowd and you're just, and then all of a sudden the same material, it just falls flat. So that was weird and embarrassing. I find that with stand up, there's a weird bell curve, that, like an under one, where the first two times you do it, you're so excited about the joke, the audience is picking up on that. And then by three or four, they're just kind of, you're, re you're reciting yourself. You're you're trying to do a an impression of yourself, and so they kind of like totally, that, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're I, that that dip. I had this cool um, manager friend in New York named Arnold Mangioli, who he. T I wish I had the details of the story, but he was he was talking about there was a play, and I think it might have been Noises Off. I'm making it up. I'm paraphrasing, but like. <laughs> There was some scene where the actress comes in and it was really funny that she kept taking the tea away. And when she took the tea away, it was getting a laugh. And she, you know, took the tea away and it was getting a laugh. And all of a sudden it stopped getting a laugh. And she like said to the director, like, I keep going out to get the laugh and it's not happening. What's going on? And he goes, go back to just taking the tea away. Yes, 100%. So, And by the way, Matt Chick, who's watching this on Facebook, uh, created <laughs> a URL already. And it is now posted at tinyurl.com slash carbo telltale heart. Matt's like the Superman producer of the universe. And and in quarantine, it's even creepier because now <laughs> he's got nothing to do. And it's like but he was already you. what? He's nothing to do but think about you. Oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> I sh I should show you a picture of he tried to cut his own hair. To, while in quarantine? While in quarantine. Oh, I would love to see that if you have an iPhone handy. 
it is technologically possible. Sorry, Matt. I just called you the Superman producer of the universe, so I can do this. So this was, I don't know. He might have even posted on Facebook or something, but look, look. Oh, no. So I, I, I post. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look terrible, but it's definitely different than Matt is used to. This was my yeah, analogy. That's... <laughs> <laughs> he looks like one of those hardcore illusionists from the 90s that do all, the same exact illusions, but their doves are like red and everything is leather. Oh, yeah. That makes what, it different. What is the weirdest request you have made of Matt that he has fulfilled? I can't say it. <laughs> that's fair. Um, weirdest. I don't know. That's that's a great question. No, that's totally fair. And you, so going into Tish, you're. I, I believe you have to audition to do that. Are you showing them magic at your audition, or are you just sticking to like an actor? I'm going to go back because there's something. This is something really cool that he did. It wasn't the weirdest request. This is just okay. like him doing it out of nowhere. We were, we were on tour, and we went to this hotel. And it was like the Carbonara was really popular. It was like in the middle of airing. This is when like people would recognize me everywhere like crazy. And we were in the lobby of this like Holiday Inn. And there was like a soccer team or something of this like these like high school kids. One was like, yo, dude, that's like Carbonara. Like, that's Carbonara. And they're like, like the whole, it felt like a thousand of them just came rushing over towards us. And Matt, like without even skipping a beat, just stepped forward. He's like, guys, we have this whole section right here rented off uh, we're in the middle of a business meeting. And they just like stopped in their tracks and were like, oh, okay. We were in the lobby. There was like just a table he, like, that, he, that we rented this table for our business meeting. It was. Well, now you can just life. change the rest of it and go full on bouncer. That's right. Uh, I dug up. Uh, so you're. Once you graduate from Tisch, uh, you kick off your acting career in 2004 with uh, Chappelle's show. I have uh, some photos from that. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Did they do that pimple makeup or did you get to use your special effects training for that? No, they did that. Nice. Yeah. Was that exciting? Like what? what oh, yeah. What, what, was... is, what does Carbonero feel like at 2004 going on set to do that? Uh, totally nervous and, ex and excited. Same thing. <laughs> it's always do you know before this interview started like when i was in the waiting room and and it was like starting in one minute i got so nervous and I'm i was like here. What the hell? i i don't know the same reason i don't understand like why some shows work and some shows don't there's been times where i've gone like when i performed in new york city at um uh Town Hall, yeah, Town yeah. Hall, at Town Hall. Um, and like Ben Stiller was in the audience and David Blaine. I was like cool as a cucumber. And then like the next day we were in Pennsylvania and I was like terrified. It was so strange. Anyhow, so right before this interview, I'm like, what is that? Like my brain just gets some signal, like we're gonna perform and it doesn't even care what. There's like, you better be ready. <laughs> no, but I think that's good for the young magicians to know. Cause I think they think that we are we, we walk on stage without any fears and it's still, that's, that's not the case. It's just about how you manage that nervousness. hundred percent. Yeah. It, it is so akin to excitement. Like there is that threshold between excitement and nervousness. It's the same kind of buzzy feeling. Um, I had an acting coach, Jack, Jack Plotnick, who, who told me about how Judy Dench was talking about getting nervous. And, and she says she calls it her batteries. Yeah. little buzz, you know? No, and it leads to adrenaline. It's like a drug. Yeah. And I found, I tried to dig up uh, your acting reel. And I found some some samples of your work in okay. the early to late 2000s. So we had uh, Chappelle Show was great. This one uh, was on NBC. So, I, I it, you know, if there are kids, this was network uh, appropriate. 
Uh, oh, this was oh, this was a movie that you did, which was but that, that was not network well. appropriate on NBC. That was a weird network. That was a weird uh, a weird segue. I forgot the order of these slides, but this was awesome. This is your first major movie. That was my first and only major movie, like where I was the lead. I was the lead. I was like, you got to picture the movie American Pie. It was a spoof of the movie American Pie, but with four gay teenagers. I have that poster right over there. Yeah. Oh my god, that was a blast. That might have been the best most exciting summer ever shooting that oh my god that was amazing that kind of revolutionary there weren't that many movies that were focusing on the gay experience like that not at all no 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 and it was really right it was right it was even before not another teen movie so like it was before all of those scary movie and all that stuff so it was like its first i think it was the first of the i don't know maybe it was yeah. the first of was the there time. any like pushback or blowback from that were there groups that were like i feel like back then there were probably people who were way more upset than they would be now um, I thought that it was going to really like, I thought I was like, oh man, I'm blowing this whole, like, I'm never going to do birthday parties for families anymore. But no, it was like really a, just a wonder. I got a lot of people just saying like, cause I was, I, I got, I, um, I was pretty funny in it. And you know what? They were like, people were saying that they're like, oh my God, you were really funny in that movie. And it was an outrageously raunchy movie. It was like very Porky's esque. Yeah. Um, but you were you were obviously Graham Norton. Like in your character has a Graham Norton. Right now, Graham is one of the funniest people on the planet. Graham Norton and Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall. Yeah, but you see my bum bum in that movie. <laughs> and I'm just very happy my bot I got I like got in such shape for that movie. I was in the best shape of my life too. And I'm just really glad that's preserved. Was that film. your Hugh Jackman and Wolverine moment where you're like, I'm gonna prep for one movie and then I never have to take off my shirt again? Yes. I bring oh, in that post. <laughs> No, it's, a, it's awesome. Uh, here's the clip that I, I was trying to set up before from NBC. Uh, one of the, uh, your network debut, I think. Let's see Stop if I can do it. Stop <laughs> What is this? Oh. There it is. There's the one word. Eat me, bitch. Yep. Yeah. That was right. uh, and what was that like? That, I mean, that's pretty exciting. Like, I feel like every actor, it's a rite of passage to be on Law and Order. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, that was Law and Order SUV. S SVU. Yes. SVU. It's just uh, right. when, when your kid acts up and you're like, "I'm taking you to the cops," and you're lying, but you just want to scare him a little bit. Right. Um, that was a blast. That was so fun. And that was like that was before they even knew if if Maloney. Oh wait, was it? No, no, no. I'm thinking of another time. I was an extra. I was an extra when Chris Maloney first started on that show, and he was not like a big, you know, household name, and he was nervous. I remember being nervous on set and everything. And then, yeah, I was also an extra in like the first season of Sopranos when they didn't know if that was going to be a hit or not. Do you like I'm in the background it, somewhere, like busting a table or something like that. But do you think that all preps you? Like when you handle your spectators on Carbonero Effect, you're really kind to them. And I think that you can tell how much you're sort of guiding them in a, in a kind way. Do you think all of that experience has helped you sort of figure out how to interact with them? What, acting? Oh, no, I mean, being an actor, having been in that position of being sort of the sort of. Oh. In. No. <laughs> Great question. No, uh, maybe I don't know. May I, I mean, it's funny. In it's more like when when I use okay. So sometimes on the Carbonaro effect, when we want to, it's like we're shooting in a candy store. It's a real candy store. 
and blah, 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 people come in. But sometimes we want to shoot in these locations that are illegal, like a bank or the DMV, and we can use the building, but it can't be open for real business. So we have to fill it with our own extras. So the unsuspecting people, yes, it's always real, who come in to be fooled are in the midst of a whole bunch of extras who are in on it too. Um, and th that the interaction with those people reminds me, uh, those extras reminds me of when I used to be an extra, like I always like being really nice and, and you know, I remember what that was like. And there yeah, was like, one, like dude, one dude we were shooting in the cafeteria. We had some extras in a cafeteria scene once that we were doing carbonara effect. And it was like right before the, the person was going to come in that they were being like sent down to get their lunch. And uh, the one extra was like the one guy who's going to take a tray away before he walks away. And he was just like, like, okay, guys, he's coming in 30 seconds. And the guy was like, so how do you like get started in the business? <laughs> and I was like, are you kid? What? <laughs> Yeah, timing. That's the key. Yeah, time. Yes, learn when to ask questions. Vinny Giordano, uh, a friend of, of you and I, wrote CSI Miami. That's what he said. Well, that's right. I was in CSI Miami later. Yes, and I, I, ha I in fact, have a clip of that. Oh, You're my God. They all, they all look like they're important. <laughs> so you were playing like a Jersey Shore type character. You playing like a Jersey Shore type character. You know, bless the Jersey Shore, because I moved from New York. Would you stop... <laughs> Everything you show looks like a, an innuendo. Um, oh, no, I made sure to cut out any of that stuff. I uh, I moved from Long Island, New York, to um, California and started, like, trying to get in involved in acting in every part. And, and I went to NYU and, like, learned how to speak properly and stop talking like I was from Long Island like this. And as soon as you I had an accent for a long time. Oh, yeah. I've got VHS tapes Call of me. me. Like, I need to borrow somebody from the audience right now. We need to bring somebody up here and help out. I was like Chris Angel um, <laughs> from Long Island, magician, rock star. Um, and I, uh, as soon as I came to LA and with my little NYU accent, uh, everybody wanted me to play like the the New York Jersey Shore. I, I, I was on a whole bunch of parts that were like Jersey Shore inspired roles. So God bless yeah. the Jersey Shore. John Reed, also Magic Camp saying Strong Island. Yeah. Is there something about Long Island that produces magicians? Because there's so many. And also comedians, too. Jerry Seinfeld, Judd Apatow, Andy Kaufman. It feels like a breeding ground. Mariah Carey. Carey. Really? <laughs> Mara Carey? That's the horror movie I never knew I wanted. But now that soon you said it, I want to see her just dumped in blood, singing her highest note as she freaks out. <laughs> Mariah Carey. I did, too. Um, yes, there's something in the water. They did a test on this. That's why their bagels taste good too. It's it was because thing. of, I think it was something to do with Magic Camp, Tannins originally starting in Long Island. Yes. And before we get to that, because we'll get to that in a moment, uh, I do have the, the best part of that CSI episode. Look, I got no talent, no stick, no nothing. All I have is my thing. Like, it's one of my own things. What's in the trap? Oh, Caruso always is great with the, uh, does he nail that in one take or is he constantly screwing that up? Like I want the, oh, oh no, no, he's great, bro. Yeah. He is talking so quietly, <laughs> like on set when he's this close to you, you cannot hear him. Like he's literally <laughs> like this, like his line was, did you give this kid poison? And this is what it looked like when he was like, I had a line after. And he would be like, he'd, he'd turn and be like, <laughs> and I'm like, what did you say your line? But like on, on the microphone, it's like, did you give this kid poison? And it sounds like all intense. So that's his trick. Do you find yourself, I, I notice when I'm on camera, sometimes I come across screaming because I try to project 
to the camera like it's an audience member. So I, I give it that distance. I guess your actor training, you probably didn't have that as much. <laughs> no, I have actor training, Harrison. I never make that foolish mistake. Fair enough. Um, but I do want to bring up Magic Camp. We've talked well, about Well, actually, wait, I'll tell you yeah. it's funny though. I was yeah. doing Carbonara, doing Carbonara Effect for a long time, long time. The cameras are hidden, cameras are hidden. Then I finally got to be on a TV show again and the cameras were out and I was like bugged out. I was like, I started filming the scene. I was like, I was like looking right at the camera. I'm like, why aren't you behind a wall? Oh yeah, this is back to- You could directly talk to everybody on the crew without worrying about blowing it. Right. Uh, this is uh, Tana's Magic Camp. <gasps> That's Terry Cook right there. Yeah, she has Mama a strong Magic. Long Island accent. Oh, right. It's a put on. She's really from England, you know. Oh, yeah, no, that, that actually makes sense. Uh, although I will tell you, um, it might make sense uh, to hear it from her. There is Mama Magic herself, Terry Cook. Well, I have no <laughs> accent whatsoever. She's in. <laughs> no. I, I thought you were in the witness protection program. She was like in the dark with sunglasses. <laughs> sitting in the dark room. Hi, baby. Hi, Terry. What's going on? Just, you know, hanging out in the forced vacation. Talking about Long Island. Talking about Long Island in the camp. Yep. Yeah, for those who haven't seen the show before, I do like to have surprise guests uh, that even the, the main guest does not know about. So this That's is awesome. an actual surprise for Michael Carbonero. He did not know that Terry was waiting in the wings. Uh, Terry is the director of Tannis Magic Camp. Do you have any fun stories about uh, Camper Michael? Uh, you know, Camper Michael used to stay up very, very late. Um, the old camp, we used to have all the competitions at the end of the week. So all week long, especially Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because we used to do the show on Saturday, they would be up till two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Michael was one of the, one of the kids that used to have pizzas delivered. Oh, oh those God. kids. That was yeah. the first year that you did um, Deja Vu. Look, I'm still doing the same act, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still doing this exact routine? Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Actually, honestly, though, when I was at camp, it wasn't Deja Vu yet. When I was in the competition, I was doing like the standard Gene Anderson, Doug Henning, like you can hear it ripping, but it's not really. It's only an illusion. But okay. you used the words Deja Vu. I did? I camp. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I came back and performed. I don't know. Well, it was the year you won everything. Everything? You won everything. Well, there you are, Charlie. The you factory is yours. The Tarbell collection. Yes. We're still right over here on my shelf. Yeah. I got to open that someday. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I want, uh, you know Alex Boyce, who's also a camper. He does that like character, like joke character magician. The outfit he's wearing is exactly what I was wearing when I won Tannen's Magic Camp competition. I didn't even tell him that yet. Oh, that's amazing! If you'd like to see that, just check out Scam Online every Thursday, seven uh, eight p.m. EDT. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Harrison Comedy. You can follow Carbonero at Carbonero and Terry. Uh, we're gonna let her sign up for Twitter later. <laughs> I barely got on here tonight. <laughs> oh, you did great. It was an ordeal. It was not pretty. Oh, wow. I have people for this, and they're not here because I'm alone. Do you remember the uh, Olaf story? Do you want, Would one of you share that story when you came? Because now that you're a superstar, all the kids get super crazy when you come to camp. So we, we pulled off a prank that uh, if one of you want to tell the tale. 
Michael came in uh, red eye at six o'clock in the morning, which I actually got up at six in the morning and we hung out in your room while you were making a prop to perform that evening. Like I'm going to make my prop <laughs> <laughs> at camp at seven oh my God, 30 in the morning. That. Yeah. And uh, we were trying to oh figure God. out how we can have him just show up randomly, you know, for the kids to freak out. And all week long, Olaf, we had an Olaf costume and uh, Olaf kept popping out for, you know, you know, mornings and the evenings, whenever. And uh, supposedly all the shirts at camp went missing. And we, I was yelling at the kids and all of a sudden the golf cart came by with the, with the air horn and shirts waving and it was Olaf. And uh, basically, because like, who is it? Who is it? And they pulled off the head, and there was a little little mask piece. So even when they pulled it off, they didn't see who it was. And then finally, they pulled the little piece off, and they were stunned. Like literally, there was like ten seconds of silence. Like there was no no clapping, no nothing. I was like, oh, what happened? And then the kids they were shocked that he had showed up, and that. I think some of them probably thought it was me all week, too. Oh, a lot of the campers thought that. Yes, for sure. We might be destroying that for them this very instant. It, I mean, it was, wasn't it? It was definitely you. The it whole was me time. all week long. <laughs> yes, for sure. That was, it was like a very Lance Burton at the end of the sword fight moment. I was yes. like, we well, need last year, Cam, you popped in at the very last second, and the, you, you came in after all the kids were supposed to be in bed on the last night. And the rumor that you were there spread at a rate that oh, I, yeah. I've only seen rivaled by Corona. Uh, the best was when a kid came running down the hall <sighs> and said to, who were you sitting with? I don't remember. Michael was sitting with someone and the kid went up to whoever he was sitting, the, the Michael was sitting with and said, I heard Michael Cabanaro was here. And they go, yes, he went down that way. And the kid went running past, not realizing he had just, that was Michael. It was so great. He's like, great. I heard Michael Carbonaro was here. He's like, um, yeah, he just went that way. And he just left. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. That was great. That was great. Poor little deer. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. We'll bring it back in towards the end. I love you so fun. much. I love you. I love you guys. Be well. Bye, Mama Magic, everybody. That was amazing. Oh, that was a treat. That was a super treat. Did do you? I mean, for me, Magic Camp is a was a life changing thing. Continues to be a life changing thing. Oh my God! It was is the greatest experience ever. I I any any kid at any show that ever comes up and is like, I'm a magician. I'm like, do you know about Tannen's Magic Camp? You have to go to Tannen's Magic Camp. It. I mean, a week long, a, a week long, and it's not like you know people are like, oh, it's a camp, and there's like a couple magic. It's like no, it's this is like real deal, like. All of the counselors are professional magicians. You see shows every night. You compete. You're in these intensive classes that are broken down, like close-up, parlor, you know, master close-up, beginner close-up, stage, and you get worked. And it was a miracle. I met everybody who works on the Carbonaro Effect is somehow, mostly, related to tannins. I met uh, Darren Berger at camp, Derek Hughes, Matt Schick is a camper. These are the guys I... Hey, what the hell? Hey, what the hell, you sneaky little dogs? <laughs> I just figured if you're gonna name them, they might as well be part of this uh this chat. That's a miracle. Are you are we all seeing the same boxes? Like am I oh, yeah, it's like a weird uh all white men version of Brady Bunch. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, all right. Hi guys. 
Hey. Derek, you look like you're a severed head on a, like a, just a silver stick. No, no, keep the silver. Oh. Yeah. See? Yeah, like a balloon. I feel like your head is going to float up. <laughs> what so do you wait, so you, you, you've known Derek and Darren as I have through camp for a long time. When you were staffing up the show, was that, was that the first thing into your mind? You're like, we should, the town of magic camp, all those people, I know them, I trust them. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was doing magic clerk on the tonight show. And then it was like, got to write multiple episodes of hidden camera magic. And I was like, who am I going to? And I think, uh, well, Derek, you were involved in magic clerk. So, and then Darren, I'm like, Darren, what are you doing with your life for the next? <laughs> right. You know, and I always thought it was a mistake. I always thought it was an accidental phone call because I just figured you went into your phone and you were like, Derek Delgadio. Nope. Uh, Derek Hughes. Nope. Oh, Darren Berger. He's the next one on the list. Let's just. I called all the D's. All yeah. the D, yeah, all the D's. Yep. D and then I, and then David Regal too, who wasn't a camper, but I called David. He was in the D section, so Regal became obviously intensely involved in the show too. Wait, who? David Regal. David Regal. This Re guy. <laughs> hey, there he right there. How are you? He was loved on the Carbonaro effect as Jar Jar Binks was loved by the fans of Star Wars. <laughs> I did a bit. Hey, I almost did that with a Freddy Krueger. I'm That's just right. here. Think Hi, Jar Jar Binks over there. Look at this. This is amazing. What about Chad Sanborn? Did you find him too? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this, yeah, for, this is it for the surprise these are the, guests. These are the, the most surprised guests of anybody. These are the miracle men behind the Carbonaro effect for all of you magicians out there. And you've seen, if, if you know, they've been, they're all been on the show in their own way, but they're, they're all the ones who make the show, write the show with me and come up with all the great ideas and, and keep me calm as I freak out. Can you walk us through the creative process? So you're what you're, you're on I've never been five. there for the creative process, David. <laughs> What's it like? <laughs> It's a long, you, you, it's a you long had to come movie. up with how many tricks for this show thus far? Well, basically, we use one. One, oh. <laughs> it's one method, um, but it's yeah. amazing. It's like the thumb tip. It's like it's an incredible device. There's been hundreds. There have been hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, probably hundreds. like eight hundred. Yeah, eight hundred or so. How do, how, we... do you, how do you do that when you when you have put that many tricks out? What does a creative meeting look like when you're eight hundred tricks in? Well, let me tell you. It's uh, it's not like thinking about magic, really, because on some level, what Michael's doing isn't really a magic show. People aren't showing up expecting to see magic. What's happening on the show is Michael, being a very believable human being and a good actor, makes For an alien really happen. And so basically, we approach it with what can we make someone believe? And obviously, we know we'll be using magic to achieve that, uh, but we don't approach it like a magic trick. Otherwise, it'd be like going through a catalog. We'd fire tricks, you know, <laughs> rope tricks, and we don't really approach it that way. Sometimes we also go just go through a catalog. And we're like, what else can we do? <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the season, we're like, I don't know, uh, Alien something. <laughs> alien was a was a dream come true, but I think that the show poses a unique problem because hidden camera we need to come up with magic that fools the home viewer in a surprising, fun, and astonishing way. Also it fools a live spectator in the moment, in the environment, the location. And uh, 
but do that in a way that the person that we're fooling in the location doesn't say, whoa, that's a great trick. Like uh, whenever we did something that fooled somebody and they said, wow, that's that's amazing. That's like magic. That's kind of a failure. Yeah, I mean, that one time we did hippity hop rabbits and they said, what a great trick. That's a lie. Nobody's ever said that after that effect. It <laughs> <laughs> was the first time. I was that in the variety show. I did oh, really? hop rabbit. Yeah. What was the what was the take? It was your standard routine. Okay. Um, but I used, um, I used uh uh, Harry Belafonte is that is Ooh. he the one who does Shake Sonora? David, you would know this. Yeah, that's Harry Belafonte. And I think I did it because Copperfield used to do like a similar thing when he did the dancing tie. So that was my. I was just lifting David. Just been lifting David my whole life. <laughs> well, I heard a great story. It's actually at Magic Camp because Derek is evidently obsessed with all of the details. And I don't know, if Darren, if you would share this story. Um, but uh, there was a. Uh, I love that. Uh, but there, there was a story about him being obsessed with the details. You guys tell him, don't worry about it. And then it coming in handy. Did I just explain it the way Jews explain jokes where they start with the punchline? <laughs> I, I don't know what you're yeah, talking about, but I'm not doing it. I think I know what you're talking about. I think um, I think we're talking about the snowflake. Story. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. So I can tell you, well, this is kind of a, Michael, I think you'd remember this too. It was, so here are some things to put it into context here. Two, a couple of things you need to know. One, uh, Derek is definitely detail-oriented, uh, sometimes to a fault. Oh, Hughes. Hughes, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. Way to a fault. I mean, very, very much detail-oriented. Very detail-oriented. The second you thing- You can tell, by the way, he set up his camera in a cave. Yeah. <laughs> it looks dynamic. Yeah. The second thing you need to know is that um, Derek loves cutting and folding paper. Also, to a fault. I mean, I don't have a where he came into the room. Michael and I were working on something. We needed like special sized boxes. Derek didn't even know what the trick was. He just grabbed a stack of paper, a cutting mat, and a blade and was like, I'd like to make those boxes. And then he walked out of the room and we didn't see him for the rest of the afternoon. But he just loves that's like his moments of zen. <laughs> we had those boxes. Yeah, cutting boxes. So now, okay, so now this detail-oriented uh, snowflake story. So we were at a location, uh, it was like an as-seen-on-TV type story. We had this trick, we called it the blade bag. And the premise was, you, oh, take, yeah. you take like a radish and you put it in a bag made out of like a bunch of tiny little razor blades and you shake it up and it comes out in like one of those little floral arrangements and do the it's same. It's called a rosette thing. burger. A rosette. A rosette. <laughs> a rosette, sorry. <laughs> you were around in the 1800s when they invented it. <laughs> yeah. We are trying to get like a carrot to look like an awesome intricate dragon and we couldn't get that. Right, right. And so- We're calling sushi restaurants. Do you have a, a sushi chef <laughs> that can cut garnishes in the most detailed, you know. Yeah. So so the idea came uh, on the way to the location that, you know what, we should take the instructions to this special bag, drop it in the bag, and make it turn into one of those little snowflakes like when you made in kindergarten, right? Uh, so big magic secret here. Uh, we don't actually do that. We magically make one of them disappear and the other one takes its place. Are right? you telling me that we didn't really do that? You didn't. You didn't that day. You guys. So, <laughs> so we need to get. We need to make a snowflake. We kill the feed. Maybe he can't rip. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah. So we got <laughs> the contract. We got the contract. He he revealed the secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where he is right now. Yeah. <laughs> I have a bell. I have a bell next to me every time David does a bit. It's been worn out. 
so uh, <laughs> so we need to make a snow. We need to make a snowflake. So uh, it was a really really tough day. Really tough day. We were down a person. We had difficult tricks. Uh, so we asked one of the PAs to make the snowflake. Uh, Derek, being detail oriented and loving paper, takes a look at the snowflake and goes, "That's that's not going to work." We need a better snow. I was butchering it. I mean, not, no, no offense, but it's like didn't really know how to make a folded up paper snowflake. Right. And so we lost Derek for about two and a half hours on a day where like, we needed we needed Derek's magic brain <laughs> that morning. And we lost. Oh. Where, where is Hughes? Where is Hughes? And we go into the back room and he's there with a pair of scissors and paper. And he's just zoned at he's just in it he is just he's just in it and he's got piles of snowflakes and pieces of paper all the way around and so it comes time to do the trick and i go derek we got to do it we got to do it right we got to do the trick right now and i grab a snowflake and he goes no 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 no. take these with you take these with you and it was the little cut out pieces of the little triangles that fall to the floor the remnants the remnants he had the rosettes Rosettes. <laughs> I take the snowflake. I take the snowflake. He goes, no, no, no. You got to take those with you. And I just grabbed like a pile of whatever was close to me. He goes, no, no. Because in the no. effect, when, when they open up the bag, the snowflake is there. And then all the little scraps that would also be left over from cutting it were also there with it. Right, right. And so Derek says to me, no, 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 no. Those go with that snowflake. Those go with that snowflake. I had to get the right pile of snippets here, the right pile of rosettes to go with the cutout snowflake. Tiny little triangles. Right? Okay, fine. Whatever you want, Derek. And I take, I take the snowflake. I take the piles. I bring them out. We do the trick. And if you've ever seen the show, you know that Michael, after the after the reveal, often leaves, right? Because we want to capture the spectator's reaction. There's the bag. That's it. I just found it. But we want to capture the spectator's reaction without you know them feeling kind of self-conscious. So Michael always leaves and shows he show, he does the trick. We see the snowflake. Michael leaves, and the girl holds up the snowflake and she goes through a pile and she picks up a tiny little triangle and she matches it to a triangle on the snowflake and goes, "What the? Yeah, baby, make it match yeah. real. Yeah, it's real." That was took up 15 minutes of this broadcast. <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> no, that oh, was amazing. Man. That was our cool runnings moment. I feel like we dropped the bobsled, but then we picked it up and made it put it over the finish line. But that's what like we're always trying to do in the show. And Michael, you you're a real stickler for the reality and the truth. You Michael you, is so aware of and conscious of the Mark's perspective, the audience's point of view. And uh, you, you hone in and like, no, that's gonna cue them to something. That's gonna take them out of the reality. Like, uh, really creating um, truth in the lies that we tell is 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 such a, you know, something that you really push. Yeah, uh, in the creation. Thanks. Of the show. I mean, but and I get that. Well, we've all developed like a a language. Like we we've learned from trial and error, how people are reacting. And like, I know having conversations with just Regal before like a bit, you know, we, we kind of found the formula of, for example, it's like, you want to get somebody to believe that, you know, that they're invisible, but, but you not, you need to hook them first by 
turning something small invisible. Like you got to do the little thing, like the cup turns clear. Wait a minute. If that machine can make the top cup turn clear, then later when he's invisible, it like brings him to, if you jump just to the invisible first, probably wouldn't believe it. So we found these like little hooks to bring people along the reality to all those little. It's, it's interesting. It's, you could compare it to someone walking towards a cliff. If you get, if you do these little bits that seem like kind of possible, they get a little off balance. And so if you do a few of those in a row, they start getting wobbly knees. And by the time they get to the abyss, you can give them a little push and they just fall. They just fall. And, but having said that, I think we'd all agree here. It's not like when we're in the van on the way to do some audacious bit, like making someone think they're invisible, making someone think they saw a mermaid, one of those big crazy ones. It's not like we're in the van going, yeah, this is gonna work. We're in the van wondering, is this gonna work? And then we, uh, we, we try it and- How did I get in a van? Often <laughs> we're wondering. <laughs> That's an amazing point and a miracle uh, that never ceases to surprise me on the show. You know, we really don't know if the magic we've created is going to work until it's in front of a living, breathing human being. Yeah. And 99.9% .9 of the time, it really does. But 99.9% .9 of the time, we're afraid it's not going to. Yeah. And also, oh, I don't yeah. know if everybody's aware, but you're shooting this thing real fast. And how many, how many attempts do you have per trip? Because you don't the have big, all day. No, the big tricks at the end usually, usually tricks get about four decent shots. Sometimes with the bigger ones at the end, we've gone and we've tried them on like seven people or something. Am I right about that? Is that about right? Yeah. The there was that one trick in season one with the porta potty and the bicycle. 19. I think that 19. was the long, the most we ever. Oh no, the Jack Black one was the most takes we ever did. And God bless Jack Black for sticking around. We just couldn't get that one. How many takes was it? A million. <laughs> You're still shooting it. Uh, yeah. Wait a minute. I don't know. I don't remember. Somebody but asked him in the comments. He stayed around day. all day. He was the coolest dude. It was like, no, no, let's keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, Patrick asked, Sir Patrick, uh, his stage name, do you guys ever play pranks on Michael while filming to mess with him? Yes, we do. Uh, a good example of times we screw with him is when... Uh, we know basically what's gonna happen. Example, he'll have a lunch bag and through magic, an impossible amount of things will come out of the lunch bag. Well, you know, eventually you bring to set this huge cooler. You go, don't let Michael see this cooler. Don't let him touch it. And when Michael's live doing the trick, when I say live, I mean live for the mark. I mean, we're shooting this essentially live to the media. He doesn't know what's gonna come out of that bag. And so you start to, you know, put in some playful items that maybe you wouldn't expect, like a live animal <laughs> and an ice cream on a stick, you know. And Michael, the cheese, is the cheese in the shirts, remember? Oh my God! Uh, I'm folding all the cardboard out of the shirts, and all of a sudden there was two slices of American cheese. <laughs> well, it, in all honesty, the superpower we have, uh, Michael's a very good magician. Everyone knows that, but the superpower is that Michael, first of all, never says die, you know, as a performer, he just keeps going. There's been times I've taken off my headset, sometimes I die. <laughs> and, but uh, when I've taken off my headset and walked away and someone stops me by the chips at craft services, and says, no, no, the bit's still going on. I go, how could it possibly go on? They started wondering if they were on a TV show. How could it be going on? But 
Michael's very believable. And that is the secret superpower. It trumps everything because his believability, I don't really understand how it works, uh, but it, it's a unique skill. They just think we, we wouldn't do anything. feed here. You know, like we, we've talked people out of playing just getting caught with like a secret assistant. Like Darren over here was secretly pulling a string or something. And then someone's like, who's behind that table? And I'd be like, oh, that's that's Elliot. Elliot's is the power working down there? Be like, yeah, the power's working. Thanks. And he'd leave the room. And we cut that out so you don't see it on the, the final bit. But like, we don't go, oh, you got us. There's an assistant behind the table. We're we just like, you figure it out. That's happened a lot. By the way, somebody made a comment, and I have to agree. This is the weirdest Passover Seder I've ever had. <laughs> Aw. If we all look up and down and left and right, we can do like a Brady Bunch. Okay. Story. Of a fun magician. He's a guy who has a shunning car effect. It's on a network that you don't know you have, but it's a carbonara effect. And it's clearly these kind of comedy ideas that that, that is why he was hired for you. <laughs> What's that? And then it's clearly based on these the quality of these ideas why you were hired for the team. Uh, exactly. Material, yeah. <laughs> Oh I'll, I'll, I'll point this out. If you look at, uh, as far as, David, you were talking about the little nuggets that push people closer to a truly impossible belief. If you chart back through early seasons, the early seasons, it was much more simple and pared down. And as as the voice, Michael's voice has grown and the voice of the show has grown, we've developed, uh, you know, sort of the ability to create tags movement and things that have multiple multiple hits multiple miracles in one uh in one bit yeah we've got that, down to like this, a lot of times we're about to shoot something and like you know russ arch who's uh, a producer on the show and the showrunner or whatever is legally allowed to be called was like um you know he'll be like wait what's gonna happen we'll be like well this is gonna turn to stone and then that's gonna turn to stone and then this is gonna break and come back together and then whatever is gonna happen at the end he's like that's too magic things. Like we'll never get to show all of those in the bit at the end. Can we cut some of them down? And there's even been, I don't know if I can think of an example, but we've done tricks where we've like done four different magical beats. And then when we put it on TV, you don't see the middle two beats. We just have to, cause just for timing. What's fun about the group, uh, you know, all the people on the team is we all love magic, which is helpful. Uh, but we also don't like to do the same stuff. Now, when you do 800 tricks, there's going to be things that relate to other things, either the plot or the method or a little of both. But we don't like to do that. What we like to do is turn to each other and go, isn't that too close to this? Isn't that too close to that? And because we all have that same itch, sometimes you end up going down avenues that if we weren't in a group situation, maybe we, we wouldn't be going down. No, yeah. I yeah, and that's one of the reasons your show stands out because everything that you're doing is so different than any other kind of magic that's on television. Well, you know, it's it's funny though because like you know, doing seven, eight, nine hundred tricks, um, we've often been in the writers' room pitching stuff we've actually already shot and aired, just by just because we've forgotten oh, yeah. that we actually. We'd be like, oh, this is a that's a great idea, that's a great idea, and it takes somebody else to come to the room and go, yeah, you guys did that. We it did that. One. Yeah. Did we, I did we air it? it? Yeah. We aired it. Yeah. You're on YouTube? Like, let me show you. I know. Oh, my God. I was on a Telemundo show, and I we were so tired and overworked that I pitched a man in a Bumblebee costume. 
And then we realized that I was just pitching the Simpsons Bumblebee. Like I was so sleep deprived <laughs> that we were about to walk into just doing the Simpsons essentially on our own Telemundo show. I mean, tens and tens of pesos. Uh, but guys, uh, we are we are in the uh, in the home stretch here. Um, uh, Darren, any last stories you'd like to share? I'm going to zoom you guys out and then bring you back in for the finale. But is there any uh, anything else that comes to mind? Somebody was asking about uh, any of the tricks that failed. Um, we also talk about a trick that succeeded as well. Tricks that failed. Have we ever failed at a trick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our hit rate's very very good, but of course yeah. we fail. And we often can't predict when we're gonna fail. And sometimes on the same day, we'll do something that sounds totally unbelievable and people will buy it. Then we'll do something that we didn't think twice of because we thought it was such a slam dunk. And they'll go, how could this be true? How could a pencil write in two colors? Or something that seems so minor to us, yet they believe that you know the ghost of Christmas past was eating the pudding. That does yeah. happen a lot where something in the room, in the, in the, in the writing room and in the, in the in the magic room, the room, you know, every time we're on on production, uh, you know, there's there's a room rented in a in a corporate housing building that we, over the course of eight weeks, destroy, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's where we sort of pitch everything, build everything, build the props, and something will be created that we all think, oh, this is a no-brainer, this is going to crush, and it's crickets on set, and then, like you're saying, David, you know, something that. Uh, was a, was a long shot, you know, just a pinch hitter wins the day. Yeah, the, the the alien crab cats, the like most famous clip that everybody talks about, that was not supposed to be a big finale of an episode. That was like, oh, why don't we do the, make some, make little crab alien hatch and turn it into kittens. That'll be neat. Well, and that brings up an interesting uh, dilemma with the show, which is it is often mark dependent. And since you're dealing with real people, Sometimes the best trick on the frickin' planet falls flat with the person because they're on their phone or distracted and it becomes in a kind of an anecdote in the episode and it doesn't get the love it deserves. And then uh, something that you think is just a, an offbeat moment gets someone like Crab Cats, Michael, and, and I think they become the star of the, of the season, you know? I think it's also important to say to the people watching this, this is not an easy show to make. It has a very lighthearted end result, but everybody that you're looking at on the screen, except Harrison, uh, <laughs> everyone works so hard that when we hit really big, the moment of feeling successful lasts seconds, just seconds, we're <laughs> going to the next thing, yeah. the next problem. And it doesn't mean that's bad, it's just the world. By doing this kind of, uh, show you don't have luxury of time at some point it's a machine and you have to you know obey the minute hand on the clock so yet yeah, it's not like we're frolicking through daisies it's all we're really intently uh working and having you know respectful disagreements and that's all part of it those respectful disagreements are yeah, things i know it's unfortunate it's like i'm not sure it's ever really the moments of fun are very few <laughs> compared to the the hell it is to make. I break out into sweats every time a new season, you know, is announced, you know, like, but the idea, <laughs> you just right there, you know, the thought of yeah. the work ahead is so harrowing and soul crushing. <laughs> 
and so worth it. So absolutely it's worth it later. Every time they ask you for another season, as scary as it is and as much work you know it is at this point, because the first season you might not know exactly how hard it's going to be, but by season five, you know exactly how much effort you're going to put in. What drives you to say yes, besides for the contract? Uh, I think that was it. I think you answered your own question right there. I'm no, I've I have like begged to please not do another one to the network. I've been like, guys, please don't make me do another one. I I've can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then they're like, just do it. Try it. And these guys hold me up and make it together. I mean, and I'm gonna say also Chad Sanborn and Matt Schick, who aren't on this feed yeah. right now, but it's like and Matt actually yeah, sent yeah. me a lot of those photos uh, from earlier. So Matt was very helpful in putting this whole thing together. Well, I also like didn't want the show to fizzle out and be crappy, you know, like I didn't want to run out of stuff and just like start repeating and being bad. And I was getting toward like, okay, I don't want to do, I didn't want to do season five. I was like, I just, and then we did season five and you know, maybe my favorite season, the last episodes we just did are like some of the best stuff we've ever done. And I'm like, whoa, I don't know where it, we did it and we just pulled it off. Like, so I was inspired to be like, maybe we can do more. I don't know. I have a the first, one of the first props that we used on the show was this key port, uh, right? And this is the thing that transported keys uh, in an office. And there's, ne I've never changed the battery. And every time they ask me to do a new season, <laughs> I check if the battery's still working. <laughs> um, so let's see, I'm gonna press it. Let's see. Look, it's lighting up. Yes. Wow. See? What's this? A set of keys? What the hell are you doing? So I guess we have to do it again. <laughs> well, that is the perfect uh, button. Uh, Derek, Darren, and David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to follow Derek Hughes, uh, at Stand Up Magician website, standupmagician.com. David Regal is davidregal.com. His book, Interpreting Magic, the second printing, is available now. And Darren Berger, at Darren Berger, he has uh, wonderful pictures of his dog, so follow him as well. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, one of the things, by the way, I was going through old photos, Michael, and uh, my one of my favorite photos from Magic Camp, uh, I don't know if you remember this one, um, was this guy over here that we took back in 2013. So you, I, you were still the Magic Clerk. You weren't yet the Carbonero effect. Uh, Kostya hadn't oh, yeah. yet done Fool Us yeah. uh, twice and blown up. Uh, Derek and I hadn't done AGT yet. I still didn't have a beard. Uh, I, I still thought wearing wow. pink and purple was gonna distinguish me as a comedian. That was the big move. Uh, and right after that was posted. Nice. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm going for a wizard slash uh, drunk rabbi. That's what I'm going No, for. I meant the pink shirt. Oh. Lose the beard and bring the pink shirt back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you look unchanged, like there's a Dorian Gray. I don't know how you, you literally do not age. Every photo of you, you look exactly the same. <laughs> Go on. But. Uh, right in 2013, uh, Adam Elbaum said, which one of these people is most likely to become a household name first? And uh, it was definitely you. Oh, wow. Yeah. And thinking back about then versus now, somebody said in the comments, um, talking about you getting recognized a lot more, um, is it weird to, if you could go back in time to this this Carbonero, who he's done The Tonight Show, he's had a couple of acting things, he's been on CSI and killed it. Um, what would you tell this Carbonero? Uh, buckle up. That's pretty I mean, good. Yeah, it's, it's been a wonderful ride. You know, I I I live every. I I got into this whole thing way after I thought it was going to happen. I wanted to be Copperfield for a long time. I went to NYU. 
after college, I, I tried for a really long time to hit it as an actor and as a magician. And it just, you know, really rough. I did some stuff and I moved to LA. I was performing at the Magic Castle and I kind of accepted that I wasn't going to be, I'm like, all right, you know what? My life is pretty cool. I love my husband. I'm performing. I love performing. I can be okay if I don't ever, you know, go past that. And then it happened after that. So I've been nothing but like enormously grateful and, and sort, and also just knowing that, you know, it could just stop at any second. Which it literally did with the coronavirus too. It's like I was on tour right. and everybody's lives just like stop, and it's like, oh, yep, these things can just stop. So I feel I um, almost lucky. Like if, if your break happened when you were twenty, I don't know if you would have had the tools that you have now. No, you're right. People say to me like, oh my god, if they if someone told you in high school that you would have been a famous magician, would you have ever believed it? I would have been like, in high school, I would have said, of course I'm going to be. Right. <laughs> I'm like, trust me, ten years after college, <laughs> I'd been like, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen now. <laughs> that's I, every comedian that I meet that's a brand new comedian. They have a confidence that I don't even have where I'm, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm Jerry Seinfeld in two years. And it's like, thank God you feel that because if you didn't feel that, you would never get into it. It's true. But it goes down real fast. Yeah. And before we wrap, so we're, we're very close to the end. If you have any more questions for Michael, please put them in the comments uh, through Facebook, YouTube or Instagram. Uh, there are people as far away from Australia watching it. I think it's the middle of the night for them. Wow. Hi, guys. <laughs> Somebody said real men wear pink. Um, so thank you, I guess. Um, and uh, let's talk a little bit, because you've been going on tour now a lot. Uh, obviously not in the most recent uh, couple right. of weeks. But what has that been? Because you, you started off live performing in high schools with uh, your assistant. Now you're back on stage doing yeah. things like the Shaving Cream Act, which you've been doing before the show. Yep. What is that like kind of returning to your roots? It's the most amazing thing in the world. I there's nothing I love more than performing live. Uh, you know, the show's great, having the show's great and having the show to get an audience into a big theater. Like I played some huge houses like the Chicago Theater and and uh the Wiltern here in LA. And I I like uh it's it, I I I was always my own boss performing magic birthday parties and communions and christenings and family events. And it was where I found my real groove and I, my real Zen love has been connecting with audiences and performing magic. And the show was its own thing. And then getting to the, the Carbon Effect TV show, but then getting to go back out there and just have that kind of energy with people again. And it, it is, I, it is every night that I performed a show, like when I'm closing the show with the shaving cream, I just, in the spotlight, I'm just like, wow, this is where I'd like to just die right here. Maybe <laughs> not. That might be traumatic for the crowd, but um, yeah, that's 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 what it's all about. It's the most amazing thing. When when you throw energy out there and the energy comes back and you get on a groove with an audience and it's just a a cycle of like magic, love, laughter. It's it's just the most amazing thing. And your first set of tour dates. I remember when you announced it. You had done a couple of seasons. They were under your belt. Did, did you know that it was going to be as crazy as it was just selling out these giant theaters? No, much like when we do the TV show and you don't know if the bit's going to work. I was like, I don't know if people are going to watch the Carbonaro effect and then come and see me as like a magician. If that's going to translate, if they're going to be like, I, you know, like what most people come to the show and they're like, what's he going to do on stage? Cause we know he's a magician. And that kind of became the whole trick of the show. Like was like, I know you guys know I'm a magician, but I can't fool you. Can I, am I lying? Am I not? And um, they all, they, I was so excited that they jumped right on the ride, right on the ride. And people, you know, they come out after and they're like, I didn't know you were funny. I'm like, you didn't know it. Then I'd be like mad. I'd be like, I thought my show was funny. Like, no, your TV show was funny, but you're like always playing like a normal person. And on your stage show, you're like a real, a real entertainer. 
Well, I, have, I used to, when I would host a comedy show, people would come up to me, I was the MC, and they go, wow, you should, you should do the comedy thing. Like, you would be a great comedian. They don't think that the MC is part of the show. Right. And in doing your show, your show is like family friendly, kids of all ages from, you know, five to 500. Um, what is the, how do you strike that balance? Is it, is it? I think it was because I was performing private parties. Like my, my, my whole developing, developing a character and a persona was performing birthday parties and communions and christenings. It was always a mix of little kids and adults. And I didn't want to just be like babysitting kids. I wanted to entertain everybody, you know? And, and of course, Copperfield, you know, like was, was, was my idol. And he was always speaking to everybody. It was a show that you could, everyone could watch. And I just developed that persona. So I don't know. I, it translated through the Carbonaro effect too, just that kindness. It's just like, I sort of just always feel like when the world is watching everybody from like this little two-year-old to, you know, grandma is watching the show and the, the hip teenagers too. So it'd be funny, you know? So yeah. Yep. When you write a book though, is it, is it, are you trying to appeal to like a kid's sense of humor and an adult sense of humor simultaneously? Are you, or are you just doing bits for them? Like that bit for you, that bit's for them? I don't, uh, I kind of, I mean, and not in a selfish way, but like, I just yeah. try and entertain myself, right? Like when I'm having fun yeah. is when everyone's having fun. Every now and then, like Schick will give me a, a, a modern joke, you know, cause I'm like, you know, a hundred years old. He'll be like, I, there's this like one part in the show where I had this thing that changed uh, liquids and I, it was like a magic and I like would like drink out of it at the end. Like it was changing my saliva into lick into alcohol. And, um, it was a weird way to get into that joke. But <laughs> Matt was like, you know, right after the Super Bowl, Matt was like, you say, after you do that, say you're, you're drinking it the Shakira way. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. And then I did. And everyone like laughed really loud. And I'm like, Hey, you know what kid? <laughs> That's funny. Is it weird that you're like the act that you were doing even before the show, the, 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 shaving cream act is it weird that chick is the guy that is helping produce it now oh because of shaving cream yeah. on his name yeah like what are the odds that you would be doing a shaving cream act since you were in your 20s and now chick is the guy who's making sure that act goes well uh it is the most incredible thing <laughs> by the way this picture i just want to put it up because it's fun that's you who's that that's my picture. mom does she come to a lot of the shows is oh she yeah oh yeah does that change? Does it make you nervous when my I when my parents are in the audience? Do I make sure I talk to the ushers. I don't know if my parents know this, so they, they're probably watching now. So they're about to find this out. But I talk to the clubs and I say I want them to have good seats, but not great seats because I can't have them in the front row. Oh right, I can't have them just right up in front of me. I need some. I need a cushion because all all I'll do is look at them the entire show. Um, no, I don't get nervous when my mom's there. I love when she's there. She's been, she like used to, she would take me to my first show. She would drive and be backstage when I would do birthday parties backstage. But like, you know, like I used to set up these like curtain flap thingies and she was pre pressing the music and no, it's just like, uh, she's sort of like, you know, just part of it. Yeah. Matt Chick wrote, hi, Liz Warren. Yeah. <laughs> my mom is running for the president, but she bowed out. Uh, Rob asked, uh, is it true you're part vampire? Yes. Easy question. Uh, somebody thanks us for uh, asking more than four questions, a Passover reference. And somebody said, this is a very specific question, but how did you come up with the, oh, those are good. Yeah, I lost the other one though. For the, this is mine. Peter's are I there. I you left it in a victim. I did, lodged, <laughs> lodged in an artery. 
Somebody said, how did you come up with that dry clean bag bit? That's from the live show. That I got that from Handsome Jack. Amazing. And are yep. you working on the live show the way you work on the television show? Or is it a completely different creative process? Uh, it's a lot easier. I, I mean, it's a lot more calm. Like when we getting stuck for a live show, the different. It's like you're on day we do the TV show. It's like, we're going to be in this spice store. I don't know where we're going to put the magic table. Where are the cameras today? Where are we hiding the people? Like every day is different. But like every time, and each theater is different, obviously. But it's like, here's backstage. There's your prop table. Here's the tricks I'm going to do that I did last night and the night before and the night before that too. And <laughs> the control is just a lot smoother. So, But prepping for it, interestingly, because I get a lot of people coming to see me who obviously our fans of the Carbonaro effect, you know, we think on brand of how to present the tricks in a way that, you know, go along with the Carbonaro effect. Like I'll do a bill switch, but I'll keep it in the world of, you know, there's something wrong with the new hundred dollar bills. Have you seen what happens if you fold them this way, they turn back into into dollars, you know, and I'll, I'll do like little riffs on kind of Carbonaroisms, Carbonaro effectisms. And is that where you see yourself? Like after the show is done, whenever it ends, uh, is it you doing live shows and tours? Is that is that where the dream goes from there? I believe I will I will perform live shows for the rest of my life for sure. And I don't know if it'll be in front of you know ten people because no one knows who I am anymore, or it'll be for crowds of people because I can keep a you know a fan base and an audience going. But always, I mean, I don't think I could ever not perform. Uh, well, I might have a job offer from you. Uh, our guest from Monday, Chris Kenner, said, if David can't do shows, are you available? Please let me do the death saw. Just let me do the death saw one time, a hundred times. Let me have it. Please. I'm available. <laughs> Shout out to Anastasia Sin, by the way, who's watching on uh, Instagram. And Jim Caruso, our mutual friend from Cast Party at Birdland, uh, he asked, would you bring your show to Broadway? Is that Definitely. A yeah, yeah. Working on some jazz like that. I mean, I want to have a big, you know, illusion, Doug Henning, Copperfield mega show for sure. Oh, that would be incredible. I think that's the dream. That would be amazing. Yeah. And uh, as we wrap up, uh, I have asked this question of every guest I've had on. There are a lot of young magicians watching. This is uh, being presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. So if you want to join, magician.org says join the IBM says join. Uh, for all the young magicians who are watching, what advice would you want them to walk away with? What can you, what, how would you, how would you help them? I would say that, um, you know, get involved in as many theatrical things as you can outside of magic to just help your, you know, magic is an entertainment art and being a performer, it can be learned, you know, doing a, a local play or do trying stand up comedy at an open mic night or, um, you know, taking acting classes or lessons like that, singing, mime, dance, even like anything where you can learn theatrical stage presence is going to assist you in being um, an excellent performer, which a magician needs to be. And you build a show where you end up using every single part of that. Every single part, except mime. No, there's mime. Oh my God, I use mime all the time. <laughs> you got it. Like somebody it. just said, yay, Broadway. So we have, there's a shot. All right. I've I got, I've sold, I've sold two tickets. If Jim comes and that dude, Oh my God! Did you see that? Somebody make a screen grab of Chris Kenner's comment. Yeah, I'm burning it into the into the this live stream. So now we'll, I can't take a break. TV and we'll do a whole thing. We'll just do a thing. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if they want to follow you, it's just at Carbonero. Yeah. And your website is michaelcarbonero.com. Yep. Perfect. And uh, Instagram at Carbonero, Twitter at Carbonero, and Facebook is something else. 
And if you if we can't put that information on screen, just uh, text Matt Chick. I know he has the information. That's right. We'll I think if you go to Mike, if you probably search Michael Carbonaro, you'll find my Facebook page. Oh, absolutely. And uh, a huge thank you to Terry Cook, Mama Magic. Love you guys. He just wanted to make sure you watched the whole thing. He hung, <laughs> hung you on to the – you're going to come back. No, I told everybody they can log off if they wanted, but they're still here. So I figured I would Aww. say uh, one last goodbye. Darren Berger, David Regal. Yep. Who is drunk. Yes. Um, we have uh, Derek Hughes. And a final shout out to Elijah, who I feel like has joined us uh, in spirit. And a shout out again to Matt Schick and Chad Sanborn, the other members of the Magic team of the Carbonaro Effect. 100%. And thank you to oh, everyone yeah. along. Uh, Matt Schick for the win, facebook.com slash Michael Carbonaro. Yeah. He's the best. Contractually, uh, we have to have a picture of Michael in the frame whenever we're on video. Yeah, it's contractual. Darren? Yes? Where's your picture? Oh, yeah. I see I see a Carbonaro in every screen. But here it is. I got, I got the sticker fish. I got the sticker fish. And the sticker oh, wow. That's so cool. I've never seen that. Sign yours. Wow. What is that? What does wow. that look like when you ask Michael to sign that photo? What's it like? Yeah, were you already working from at this point? It's like, it's like, can you sign this one and then like 20 more so I can give them out at Christmas? Oh, yeah. Well, when the Magic team wants to a picture signed, it's like 50% of the regular price. <laughs> Darren, Derek, and David, thank you guys so much. All Ds, which is fantastic. <laughs> Follow them uh, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. We have... Uh, Follow them on your computer systems. Yes, on the interwebs. Uh, I'm putting them up now. You can see uh, all of their information. Michael, thank you so, so much. Uh, thank you, Harrison. But, uh, you know, in doing all the research for you, I kept finding like really wonderful things. Like there's a video of you uh, bringing a kid who was uh, not doing too well from cancer and you bringing him backstage. Just the tremendous amount of sweet things that you do for other people is, uh, is phenomenal. And so thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Um, any other message for the people out there? Stay safe, be happy, and you know you don't have to like write a freaking novel while you're in confinement. Just like take the time to have some like time to not have to rush and do something. That's what I'm doing. I'm gonna try to steal me a platinum record. I think that is my favorite thing. I just yeah, and you're doing like a million internet things like crazy. There's a live stream this and a stream that and a stream here and a live that. And it's like, calm down, have a go stare at a brick wall for a second. And I bought a Nintendo Switch. That was my big, my big. I part. have the Oculus. Oh, I have one of those too. Is there going to be a Michael Carbonaro in VR? Yes. That, our, there we go. We can end with the exclusive. I love that. I, I wouldn't mind having a Michael in my house. I like it. I'll do it. All right, Michael, thank you so much. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe, stay well. Okay. Michael Carbonaro, everybody. I'm applauding. I know everybody is applauding with. Actually, si uh, Simone, there's your claps. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. This has been Who Books That? Episode 5. It's every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. EDT or 4 p.m. PDT. Uh, this Monday, we have a duo of special guests. We'll announce that shortly, so make sure you check out uh, my page or the IBM's. My Twitter and Instagram is at Harrison Comedy. A happy Passover to everybody. A happy almost Easter to everybody. Stay safe, stay well, and thank you so much for watching. This has been Who Books That?